Well, hey, everybody. So good to be with you today. This is Pastor Jason. Thank you for joining us for this online service. So today, as we continue in this message series, Unleash, and we're talking about unleashing the power and love of Jesus, we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 22. Matthew 8, 14 through 22. And I'm going to be using the English Standard Version. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read this passage before we pray. Beginning at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with the fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast the spirits out with the word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be guided with your Holy Spirit. May we hear, may we listen, may we be challenged and changed. May we hear the voice of Jesus coming through his word today. In his name we pray. Amen. So sometimes when I see a movie I really like or I come across a TV program that I really like, I like to get dig in and find out more about the actors. I'm just a very curious guy. And so if I see a new actor, I want to read his biography and see what he's like. Where is he from? What are his personal views on things? Well, about 14 years ago when our daughter Allie was born, that was when that show The Office was still making new episodes. And they were showing reruns one night of the week and they were showing new episodes another night of the week. And Janice and I got really into it. To this day, I've watched The Office straight through at least two times, the whole series. And so I remember when I started getting into this show, I was intrigued by these actors that I wasn't familiar with. So I started reading interviews with uh, Steve Carell and Rain Wilson and John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher. And I remember reading this interview with Jenna Fisher and she said that her favorite book was a book called Gig. And so I'm an avid reader and so I got curious about this book and then I found it at the library and I picked it up to browse it. And this book called Gig, it was written about 2000, 2001 and it's basically a collection of essays written by dozens of people with different jobs describing what it's really like to have those jobs. So perhaps you've daydreamed about being a greeter at Walmart or being a taxidermist or about being a buffalo rancher or about uh, being a telephone psychic or being a financial advisor or being a pastor. You can read this book and you can read an essay of people describing what it's really like to have that job. And it may be helpful to you. Before you sell everything you have and buy a herd of buffalo, you might want to read a chapter about what it's really like to take care of buffalo as a buffalo rancher. Anyway, in our passage today, we get to see a day in the life of Jesus and what that was like after he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit at age 30 as he was carrying on his supernatural ministry after the age of 30 for that three-year period um, before he was crucified to pay for our sins. 
Now, we read in the Gospel of Mark that the events described in this passage took place on a Sabbath day. That's a Saturday. That was a holy day for the Jewish people. And so that morning, Jesus had gone to the synagogue in Capernaum, and he had preached very provocative message, and a man who had been demon-possessed confronted Jesus, and Jesus cast the demon out of the guy, and then everyone was astonished at his power, and the news spread very quickly throughout the region of Galilee. Well, now it appears that synagogue is out for the day, and he's going to Peter's house, which was located in Capernaum, for lunch, right? That's what you do. You go to church, you go to synagogue, and then you go out to lunch. And so this is a typical uh, Saturday in the morning in the day of life of Jesus. Goes to synagogue, preaches provocative messages, goes to lunch with his friends, and sees what happens next. So they go to Peter's house. We're going to follow along, reading through this slowly, and seeing a number of things that might apply to us as we do. So verse 14, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, we don't read what type of illness Peter's mother-in-law had, which caused her to have this fever. But we see that Jesus easily made the fever leave her when he touched her finger, or touched her hand with his finger. And so, this is a great example of Jesus using his go-to method, the touch and heal method of healing. And it's also an example of Jesus not just doing his miracles in public places where lots of people could see. This is a very private miracle. He does this miracle uh, in the home of one of his friends or a family member of one of his friends with no one else around. Now, perhaps, though, this is even a more notable example of how we all should respond when we've been touched by Jesus. People point out how significant verse 15 is. It says, all in one sentence, he touched her, the fever left, she rose and began to serve him. How did Peter's mother-in-law respond after she'd been saved from this fever by Jesus? She rose and began to serve him. And this is very notable. This is very powerful, the way this is worded here. And commentators point out that this is not the way that people always respond to Jesus healing them. Sometimes they get healed and they just go on their way celebrating and don't even return to give Jesus thanks. Sometimes they get healed and they go back to a destructive way of life. We see Jesus actually chase a guy down in John chapter 5 and he says, listen, you've been healed. Now quit sinning or something worse will happen to you. Sometimes people get healed and they just go on with their life and they don't acknowledge Jesus. But this is surely the appropriate response that we're all supposed to have when we've been touched by Jesus. We are to respond by rising and serving him. Do you know that you are on this earth to serve Jesus? Yes, and when you've received his gift of salvation and forgiveness, when you've been touched by his grace, when you've been helped by him, the appropriate response is to rise and live as one of his servants. Many people will point to a time in their life when they go from just serving or just knowing Jesus as their Savior to deciding to live with him as their Lord. And this is a decision we all need to make, to not just accept his salvation, but to live with him as our Lord. That means to live as one of his servants. It's the master-servant or master-slave language, right? He is our gracious master and our friend, and we are his servants. And we are called to respond to his grace by serving others. And it's been noted that one of the easiest ways to be miserable is to 
always be expecting other people to serve you. And then when they do, to critique how they serve you, as if we just sit around expecting to be served and expecting other people to serve us. It's a great way to be miserable and spread misery. But one of the easiest ways to be happier is to wake up each day and say, Jesus, how can I serve you today? Who would you have me encourage today? Who would you have me bless today? Who would you have me pray for today? How would you have me spend my time today? Taking the attitude of a grateful servant is one of the keys to a rich and satisfying life. Now, after Peter's mother-in-law serves lunch, Jesus and his disciples, they probably just take it easy for a while and rest in the afternoon. But when the sun goes down on this Saturday, that means the Sabbath is over and people can move around a lot more. And so now the party really starts popping. Look at what happens, verse 16. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, this is a frightening picture if you think about what this was really like. So the word had got out that he had cast a demon out of a guy in a synagogue that morning. So now people from all over Galilee who know friends or relatives that are oppressed by demons or are demon-possessed, they all are congregating at the Peter's home bringing their demon-possessed friends to Jesus. As I thought about this, I, I thought about that old Michael Jackson video, Thriller. I was just a kid when that came out, and that's a terrifying video. <laughs> it's kind of what this made me think of. If you remember that, it starts with uh, Michael Jackson uh, watching a movie with his girlfriend, and first he turns into a werewolf. But oh, that's just a movie. But then he's actually walking her home, and he turns into a zombie. Oh, but then it turns out that that's just a dream she was having. And then at the end of the video, he turns and looks at the camera, but his eyes are still glowing green like he's demon-possessed. Terrifying stuff. And there's all these zombies dancing around. I mean, that's what this sounds like. All of these demon-possessed people are just brought to Peter's door. I just picture uh, Jesus and his friends relaxing, watching college football on this Saturday afternoon. And then as it gets dark, the doorbell rings. Peter's mother-in-law goes to the door. And there's all these demon-possessed people just out there howling at the moon like crazy. Terrifying scene. But look at how easily Jesus rescues these people from their torment. It says in verse 16, and he casts out the spirits with a word. This demonstrates the power that Jesus has over evil. We have to get our head around this. Jesus and the devil are not two equal but opposite powers. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and demons must submit to Jesus. He can cast out demons with a word. Now, this is not something that we in North America are forced to think about a whole lot. And part of that is because Satan is much more covert here than he is in other countries. Here, Satan has primarily gained influence by ways that we don't recognize, influencing systems that are corrupt or they're evil or they take advantage or abuse people. Satan stirs people up to get offended and rage against others as he laughs, as we turn on each other and devour one another. But in other countries that have lots of different worship of different religions and different false gods, demon possession is a very real and actual part of the modern day life of 
pastors. I know many pastors who are in India and Sri Lanka, other countries, and they have to do exorcisms on a regular basis. I know in India, only 3%, less than 3% of the country are Christian. Now, I have a friend, a very good friend, who's actually an Indian pastor. He's serving in the United States now. But he said the difference is so great when you come to the United States. Because there, because people worship all of these plethora of different gods, they worship these ways and they invite these demons to take possession of their body without knowing it. And he said there's just millions of demon-oppressed or demon-possessed people in India, they're just causing people to do really harmful things and really harming others, just locked in these systems of demonic oppression. And he says, walking down the street in a, as a Christian in India, you can just feel it. He said, sometimes as a man of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, he would just be walking down the street and the demons and other people would start turning and just glaring at him or snarling at him. And the people might not even know it. It's the demon within them responding. He says, it's very different here. He says, you get off the plane here in the United States and the air feels different. And he says, there's, there's not as much demonic oppression here because the influence of Christianity is still very great in the United States, even though Christianity is not as prominent as it used to be in the United States. But over there, it's just rampant, this demon oppression. Um, I have another friend who is a Nazarene pastor in uh, India. And she would say that, yeah, part of being a pastor over there is you just get calls as a pastor to come and do exorcisms. She said, you know, sometimes people in our church, their kids or their grandkids would do something that was stupid and they would invite a demon into their life and then the kid would start acting up. And so the parents or the grandparents would call the pastor sometimes in the middle of the night to go and perform an exorcism. So she said, yeah, every once in a while, we'll just get a phone call in the middle of the night. We'll get dressed. We'll go to someone's house. Uh, perform an exorcism, come home, and go back to bed. A day in the life of a modern-day pastor in India or some of these other countries. And we don't see as much of that here, but we still need to be so careful. We shouldn't be afraid of demons and evil spirits, but we should be aware. And I tell people, don't even dabble in stuff like psychic readers or tarot cards or seances or Ouija boards or witchcraft. Don't even fool around with it because Satan is deceptive. And when people invite demons into their lives, they rarely have any idea that they're doing so. But then it can cause their life to get totally derailed in ways they never would have anticipated. Now, it's important for us as Christians to know that as followers of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, we also have authority in Jesus' name over demonic spirits. And yes, in our church, every once in a while, uh, pastors or prayer team, members will get called to go to someone's house because someone moves into a house and they feel like there's an evil presence there. And so then the pastors or the leaders or the prayer team members will go and they'll pray throughout the house in the name of Jesus. Just pray cleansing prayers throughout the house and driving out anything that would remain of demonic influence or demonic presence from past things that people might have done in the house. And so we all want to be careful. We shouldn't be afraid. We should be aware. And we should take the authority that Jesus has given us to push back evil in the world around us. Now notice in verse 16, it says that Jesus healed all who were sick. We've talked about this a lot already. But when you read the New Testament with fresh eyes, there's just no denying that healing was a central part of Jesus's ministry. He was always healing people. Here it says he healed all who were sick. There was no one that was sick that he didn't heal. 
And not only does it tell us that he healed the sick, but the, the healing ministry of Jesus was part of what he accomplished on the cross. Quoting verse, in verse 17, quoting the prophet Isaiah, which foretold the death of Christ, it says, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So he died not just for our salvation from sin, but also for our salvation from sickness and disease. And this means sooner or later, Jesus will fully heal and restore every person who accepts him by faith as savior. Whether in this life or the next, we will receive complete restoration. We will live forever with him in a new heaven and a new earth in imperishable bodies that are completely immune to sickness and illness and death and disease forever and ever. But as people who trust Jesus, we also are called to pray for others to be healed. And sometimes Jesus delivers down payments of this full healing to people in this world that we live in right now. And these foreshadow uh, the complete healing and these show the power and the love of Jesus. So people will trust him, people will live into him, and people will administer his healing and his power to other people. So this was an incredible evening <laughs> of miracles, a day in the life of Jesus. So he had healed everyone who was sick, and he'd done all these exorcisms, but there were still lots of crowds hanging around. It's getting late. He decides they're not going to get any rest in Capernaum, so it's time to move on. It says in verse 18, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. So with all this stuff, it was taking place around the Sea of Galilee. And so we see Jesus and his disciples constantly uh, getting in the boat and traveling across the sea, which was really just a very large lake, traveling across the sea to another place. And so he tells the guys, you know, I think we've done a lot of good work here today. There's still a lot of people here. We need rest. We've really expended ourselves on behalf of the kingdom today. Let's move on. And so he says, get the boat ready. We're going to cross the lake. And so as he does, though, there's still a couple of people that are responding. And look what it says in verse 19. It says, a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, it's noted that this is significant because of who the man was. This man was a scribe, or your translation may say he was a teacher of religious law. In the scriptures, the scribes, Pharisees, the teachers of religious law were the ones who opposed Jesus. They opposed him because he called them out for the hypocrisy. He threatened their authority and their way of life and their standing. And so they're the ones that eventually would conspire against Jesus. Uh, they would conspire with the Romans to have Jesus arrested and crucified. Here we see a man, though, who's among this group of religious leaders, and he sees Jesus. He sees the power of Jesus. He sees the love of Jesus. And he is on the brink of transferring his allegiance completely over to Jesus, no matter what the cost. He says, teacher, he acknowledges Jesus as, a great, as the great teacher they've been waiting for. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus speaks to him about the sacrifice that will be expected. He says, listen, yes, I'm the son of man. I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. But notice even though the animals have a place to rest tonight, I am getting on a boat and I don't even know where I'm gonna to sleep tonight. Yes, this is what you're, you're gonna give up. You're gonna give up the creature comforts of your religious status in order to pursue the kingdom with me. 
Are you sure you want to do that? Are you going to give up your creature comforts to pursue the kingdom of God? And it doesn't tell us what he did. What would you do? Now, then there's another guy. Verse 21 says, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, this sounds harsh because we don't come from that culture and we don't talk like that. But it's generally accepted that this disciple's father was not already deceased and Jesus was not telling him, yeah, your father's dead, his funeral's tomorrow, you can't go. Rather, the man was trying to say that because of his relationship with his father, there were complexities in his life that were keeping him from following Jesus at this time. He saw Jesus as great, he wanted to be his disciple, but it was just not the right time. Perhaps the father had business expectations of this son, and he didn't want to disappoint his father. Many people will not follow Jesus at risk of disappointing someone else because Jesus might call them to do something other than what others are expecting them to do, a very real thing even in our world. Perhaps the man wanted to wait until his father died so he could receive his inheritance from the father, and then he wouldn't have to worry about money and he would feel more comfortable following Jesus. Perhaps the father would disown him if he followed Jesus, because literally this would be like abandoning his Judaism to follow this new character. And his father would disown him. This is something that people all over the world truly will face today. They maybe experience Jesus in a dream or vision. They believe that he is a Messiah. But they know if they choose to go all in with him, it can mean that they're never welcomed at their home where their parents live again. Now, whatever the case, Jesus recognized this as a pivotal moment in these guys' lives. And life really does have several pivotal moments where we're on the brink of stepping into something new and potentially wonderful with God. But it feels risky because it's a break with our past. And we might only have a few minutes to decide what we'll do. But what we decide may have ramifications not only in this life, but also for all eternity. Something about the way this story told, though, is meant to bring us also to a pivotal moment. The fact is that we don't know how these guys responded. Did they go with him or not? Did the one man leave his... Uh, creature comforts of his religious status to pursue the kingdom of God? We don't know. Did the one guy leave the expectations of his father because his true allegiance would now be to Jesus? We don't know. And it leaves us hanging so that the reader will be forced to ask the question, what would I do? What would you do? Would you have gotten in the boat with Jesus? and learn to sail on the seas of the living water of the Holy Spirit? Or would you have stayed on the shore and gone back to your old way of life? Would you have gotten on the boat with Jesus and learned how to row through the storms of life, through the power of the Word of God and the authority that Jesus gives us in prayer? Or would you stay on the shore? It's one of those keystone moments and the scripture is written in such a way that it draws us to that moment. Maybe you're at a critical point right now in your life and you're confronted with the power and love of Jesus. 
And he's asking you, what will you do? This day, all over the world, people in countries that are not primarily Christian will hear about the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus, and they'll believe it's real, but they'll have to decide whether following him is worth the cost. And over here, it doesn't cost us near as much, but we still have to decide. Are we going to go all in with Jesus as Savior and Lord or not? What do you decide? Four closing applications. Number one is rise and serve Jesus. Just as Peter's mother-in-law did, this is the appropriate response. Wherever you're watching this, when you stand up, stand up and begin serving Jesus. Serve him the rest of your days. See yourself as a precious blood-bought child of God and servant of Jesus. Rise up and from here on out, your life is his. Ask him what he would have you do. Number two, Fight evil with the authority of Jesus. Don't be afraid of evil spirits. Be aware of them and use the authority that Jesus gives you to drive them out. Number four, keep praying for people to be healed. Yes, maybe this week you will come across a coworker and they might have a headache. And you would say, you know, could I just pray for you for a second? And you say a quick prayer in Jesus' name. And maybe they don't even believe in Jesus, but maybe they let you pray for them and maybe their headache goes away. And they realize, holy cow, that stuff is real. And then they accept Jesus and receive his forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. This is what we're called to do with the power that he's given us. And number four is get in the boat with Jesus and learn to sail on the living waters of the Holy Spirit. Learn how to row with the power of the word of God and prayer in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Holy Jesus, I thank you that you invite us to a new life, a new way of life, and that you care so much about us. Lord, unleash your power and love in all of our lives. And now, Lord, we pray together that prayer that you taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.